Hi, all. Welcome back to Down to Brown. I am so excited about today's guest, but I say that about every guest because all the folks we have on this show are just such badass folks. That being said, this guest is no different. I am talking about none other than Aisha Rauji, the CEO and founder of Shop Kina. Doesn't that sound sexy as fuck to hear a woman's name right before CEO and founder? Unch. So she started Shopkina in 2017, and she goes into more of the founder story later, so I won't uh, steal her thunder because it comes best from the person who founded it herself. But I will say I found out about Shopkina because I myself was looking for wedding dresses. I got engaged last June. Um, I made sure of that with my fiance. June is my favorite month. And... We got engaged and I remember immediately going into planning. And as I closed my eyes and tried to think about what I imagined myself as a bride, I had a huge question mark. I could not really understand where I felt like I identified with more. Did I identify with the American bride, the blushing white dress? Did I identify with the red linga and being sort of that demure, sensual, quiet coy? in a DC linga, I actually did not know. And I remember actually having a low-key panic attack after I tried on a few American dresses with my sister and telling her, I just can't, I, I feel good in it. Like I look cool, but it just didn't feel like me. And so I spent some more time and thinking through it. And I did feel really strongly about the linga, but I also felt really strongly about the dress. So I did both. I decided the ceremony where I wanted to do my vows and commitments, I needed that to be in a linga. That felt like me. And as my parents presented me, I wanted to feel like their Telugu South Asian daughter and feel connected to that experience. And then as I partied, you know, and the reception, I wanted to wear a dress and something loose where I can get low to Lil John. And then I went for a dress for that one. So Problem solved for the down to brown mission of my bridal experience. But at the same time, I remember feeling super intimidated by the bridal dress shopping experience, especially doing it from the States uh, between here and India, where my parents live. And also thinking about the delays of the pandemic and being like, oh my gosh, holy shit, what do I have to order this five years in advance? So... Long story short, I've been following Shopkina and loved how they make their products and experience and services so accessible, relatable, and easy for the American South Asian bride or attendee or whoever just wants to wear some bomb-ass clothes. And I really appreciated the fact that they were really living that down to brown mission of taking something that's traditional, something that we associated so strictly with South Asia, that experience of wearing our traditional wear and taking that and contemporarizing it and making it something that someone who grew up in this experience could also connect with. So let me take you back to two nights ago when I spoke with Aisha over a couple glasses of wine. Thank you so much for being here on Down to Brown today. Oh, of course. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be chatting with one of my brides. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, as I was telling you earlier, the Dalai Langa in Cinderella Blue. I cannot wait to wow people <laughs> down the aisle. So thank you so much for your brilliant creations. Of course, of course. And I am so excited to see all the pictures. I mean, it's so soon. That's so exciting. Of course. So before we start, shall we do a little cheers? Sure, let's do it. Should yeah. I bring the whole bottle in? <laughs> do it. <laughs> the Zoom background is really Cheers to Shopkina being on Down the Ground. Yes. And also your phenomenal success. Like, I feel like we are seeing Indian culture and outfits, especially like in Diwali, at least, you know, I, I'm speaking outfits, but we're seeing food, we're seeing music. Like there's this explosion that's been gradually happening. I feel like since we've been in middle school, high school, but so slowly. 
And then now, like this weekend, I was like, when did Diwali become so cool? Because like you see Chrissy Teigen in those outfits, you see all these celebrities in it. And um, I'm just blown away. So did you ever feel like you could have predicted this type of popularity? You know, it's so funny. I think of, I don't know why my mind immediately went back to Slumdog Millionaire times. You remember when the movie <laughs> came out and everyone was obsessed with Bollywood and Lethica yes. and like J-Ho. And, uh, AR, yeah, <laughs> Man, and there was a moment where everyone was all of a sudden enjoying Indian fashion and Indian embroideries and you were seeing anthropology blow up because they were carrying all these amazing fabrics and then it kind of died out. And so yeah. that, I don't think I ever thought we would see like the renaissance again (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and then this weekend I was watching it and honestly I felt the same I I mean yes I was very minutely part of it but honestly just watching it I was in shock and kind of really proud of how Slumdog Millionaire didn't do this now it's like everyone is in it and there's so many people watching I know I think that was the difference like I was telling my friends this I was like when did the volley just become the it thing you know of the <laughs> yeah. season and they're like but it always has like you know the office did an episode on it and I was like yeah mildly yeah. but I've just mm-hmm. never seen this level of both Indian celebrities proudly like South Asian sorry like proudly going in front of folks advertising it posting mm-hmm. it having these mm-hmm. like powerhouse dinners like mm-hmm. you know with Mindy Kaling and um, live tinted phenomenal, but also seeing all the American celebrities who are just participating as allies or people who are happy to celebrate with folks. Right. So yeah, that felt new. And yeah. I wonder what changed, you know, you know, I think it was a rise of fame for people who became more accessible, I'd say, or, and like just the sheer amount, I mean, people, everyone knows Priyanka Chopra, everyone mm-hmm. knows Mindy Kaling and Yes, they've been around for some time, but now there's a community around them, a bigger community of celebrities. And so they can all gather and they can come together. And now in this big group, celebrate and bring in all these other people who are also in the industry with them, which is awesome. I mean, that means that something has changed in media across the board to bring all of these different faces in and it's becoming more inclusive. I think there's still a lot of work to do, but I think that it's finally at this point where we're seeing the change physically and in front of our faces, um, which I don't think has happened ever. No, I love that. And I think it's really also inspiring as South Asian. So maybe this is just me, but to also see my, something that was some, I celebrated so much with my family, but always felt like I had to kind of hide. And it was a moment that I shared privately outside of my school life. And now when you see it out in the open, like I wish I was growing up in this time because I feel so much more proud and comfortable sharing the Bali or whatever the holiday it is that you're celebrating yeah. um, part of your culture. So I think that's also something that would be really great to see is like the normalization of these experiences we have that don't have to feel like behind closed doors though. Definitely. And I think it's going to take a while. I think, I mean, I could go off on a rant about appreciation versus appropriation. And I think there's a lot of people who are still not on board with the appreciation side of things and think Mm -hmm. everything is appropriation. And so there's still going to be an internal battle in the community about that for a long time to come. But I think that we're making progress towards welcoming people into it and being proud of it as a general community, which is amazing. And we have not seen this before. And it's, it's such a good time to be part of it. Um, And seeing it live and being able to witness all of it on Instagram is really fun too. (laughs) Totally. I'm actually really glad that you brought that up because that is something that I was also debating with my girlfriends of how do we feel about seeing for some reason I'm only, I'm blanking on everyone I saw in like the Lily Singh party, but Chrissy Teigen is coming to mind oh, yeah. and she was wearing like the tikka, she was wearing the sari, like the Papa mm-hmm. Don't Preach one that I've been eyeing. Um, yeah. And so we were like, how do you feel about that? Like seeing her yeah. in that outfit, like is it a purpose? So some people were like, it's appropriate because she's going to a Diwali party. The dress code is that some folks were like, I'm still really kind of like, eh, um, I have my own opinion on it. I I align up with the former because I feel like she had sort of this appropriate reason to do it. Um, so where do you stand, especially because you supply a lot of these clothes and you want people to enjoy them? (laughs) Yeah. And Papa Don't Preach is one of our biggest partners. Um, they were actually the second designer that we brought on board when we pivoted the company to become a multi-designer retailer. So I know them very well and we work really closely and, you know, I was so excited. I was so thrilled. And 
I thought it was just so great to see someone else who has this fame embrace our culture. I mean, it's so it's so fun to see someone else really mm-hmm. love the clothing of your culture. And on top of that, choose a brand that is owned and run by Indian women and is well known around the world. Yes. I think that was great. I'm glad she didn't wear a almost looking Langa or an almost looking sari from an American brand to this Diwali party. I'm glad she went with a sari from an Indian brand. And that's, to me, that was such an awesome moment. And I will say being on the other side, we had to shut off our comments. Um, oh, wow. Instagram. We reposted, we had nothing to do with Chrissy Teigen getting her sorry and congratulations to Papa Don't Preach because that was amazing. But yeah, we reposted it and we had to turn off the comments because people were talking about A, obviously we all know what's going on with her reputation right now, but B, mm-hmm. the part of appropriation, people felt like a sorry with the slit was not appropriate. But, you know, Papa Don't Preach designed it for that, like, for that reason, maybe to create news around or create conversation around it about yeah. changing the look of a sari. And it was interesting. I mean, being on this side, it made me think a lot about this conversation more. Yeah. But I I still stand with, I, I it's bringing us forward. The more welcoming we're going to be, the more our community is going to grow and the more progressive we're going to become. And that's totally. all we can ask for, for our there's kids. <laughs> so much, so true. And I think there's so much gold there because, a, I agree with almost like the parameters, if you will, mm-hmm. of, you know, if this was a TikTok, I'd be like, point, point, point. But like yeah. the parameters of like, what's the difference with cult- cultural appropriation and not, it, I feel like the designer giving the credit to the culture. I think that's really yeah. mostly what we ask for is like, don't take something that is clearly like, you know, something else like designed by someone who can't speak to that experience. Yeah. Um, and so I completely agree. It's not like, Chrissy Teigen wearing that to Coachella, I feel a little differently, mm-hmm. but her wearing oh, it to yeah. the Diwali party, I felt so exactly. like happy to see that. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. I agree on that part. The other piece is like, I think the reason why Papa don't preach is so interesting to perhaps many of us. And I'll speak for myself again, is just that it does get to combine a little bit of like your experience as someone who's been maybe um, the Western style with the mm-hmm. Eastern and mm-hmm. in a way that it's also like the personality, like is like bubbly. It's like kind of like, I think of the character in Job We Met, like this like Bollywood yeah. actress you've always aspired, you know, like that bubbly, funky. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's great because it expresses a different kind. So mm-hmm. do you find yourself like, and the reason what I'm teeing up is the question of when you're working with clients and what is really South Asian, like yeah. it can a outfit be South Asian? Is it South Asian because it has only certain elements? Like when you go into fusion territory, how do your clients respond? And what's your yeah. personal point of view? That's a really interesting question. So I have two sides to this. So I don't really do a lot of fusion clothing at Kaina. And a lot of people will notice that. They'll come to us saying, I want Indo-Western. And honestly, we don't carry that very much mm-hmm. because what I've realized is girls in the West when we wear Indian outfits, we want to wear an Indian outfit. Like we, yeah. we don't have very many opportunities to get dressed up and wear these outfits. So when we do, we want to fully embrace it. And so with Papa Don't Preach, I think they've done a really good job. And I call them the Betsy Johnson of India, because if you look that. back at Betsy Johnson, you know, when she was in her heyday, the stuff that she was bringing to the table looked similar to what stuff mm-hmm. that Papa Don't Preach has, which is amazing. And I think they've put a new perspective on it. I think they have created it as a South Asian brand at the basis. So you're still getting a langa, you're still getting a sari, but you're getting a different twist on it. You're getting a mm-hmm. jumpsuit with maybe mirrors on it or heart, you know, uh, beads or things like that, that you wouldn't see in Indian clothes otherwise. So I think for what they're doing, they've created their stamp and they've stuck to it. And I think it's a great brand for doing that. Um, additionally, I think there's other ways that you can kind of see a fusion look coming to play. I get a lot of brides who are marrying or maybe not Indian marrying Indian guys or vice versa or uh, mixed cultural weddings. So we try to combine. Sometimes we'll see brides who want to wear white langa, which you will not find that in India yeah. at all, probably. And that's also another way of being a fusion Indian look. So it's still mm-hmm. Indian, but, you know, we could use lace on it and it kind of gives it that white bridal gown feel versus feeling ultra traditional so there's a lot of I think it's ever changing but I think there's a few brands who have really nailed it um and Papa Don't Preach is definitely one of them 
Absolutely. And I think your answer is a testament to when people ask, like, how can blank speak to culture? Like, how can fashion Mm -hmm. uh, be a metaphor for culture? I feel like this is a really good example of that, because I think it's very representative of how we are feeling in our identities itself, right? Mm -hmm. Like they, they are very unique and morphing and they could be combining with different cultures, et cetera. Especially the concept of marriage is such a beautiful way to like nerd out about like, where do you stand? Where is your identity going? What type of culture are you joining, et cetera. So I think um, your answer to me resembles a lot of what people are trying to figure out, even just with their own selves psychologically, like let alone clothes. Right. Um, But, you know, it's, to me, it's just really fascinating because what you mentioned of, you know, people, when they want to wear Indian clothes, they want to feel Indian, like, or South Mm -hmm. Asian, like that, like connect with that experience purely. Um, But that is something that we, if I was growing up and I was like, I'm going to start a business. I don't know if I would have thought Desi clothes, you know, like, (laughs) you know, growing up in America. So how did you decide that this was the thing that you wanted to do? Yeah. I I mean, I look back and I don't know where or what, how it happened, but my mom used to have an Indian clothing store in the nineties. So the way she started her career was she was one of the first people to open a boutique in Artesia, little Indian LA. And Mm -hmm. she was there for a while. And I used to go to all these cool fashion shows and go to the store. I, I always tell people my childhood was spent in Artesia because I just remember spending Saturdays there watching my mom at the store and uh, going to get Bonnie Puri down the street and hanging out with my sister That's and my awesome. dad and picking up Cadbury, <laughs> the, whole, <laughs> the whole experience. Um, and then she, when, as my sister and I got older, she realized she wanted to spend more time at home. So she actually opened a boutique within our house. Mm. And so it was me coming home from school and seeing aunties in my mom's office, trying on clothes. And I would sit there and I would say it didn't really spark anything for me as a, at that young of an age to want to pursue it. But mm-hmm. over time, I realized I had this passion for fashion and I loved, you know, just accessorizing and putting together looks and I loved getting dressed up. And so when I was 13, I told my parents I wanted to go to fashion school and it was my dream to have my own company and I wanted to be a designer. And they, being Indian parents, were like, hell no, stick yeah. your ass down. <laughs> Uh, I was like, the story can end in one of two ways. Yeah, yeah. They said, because my mom was in it. My mom saw how hard it was. And Mm -hmm. she had her own company. And then she eventually stopped doing Indian clothes because it got so stressful that she ended up working for another company um, that did American clothes. So they would supply to anthropology and human markets, things like that. And she was Mm -hmm. kind of the middleman in that. And so she she told me, and so did my dad watching my mom, they said no they said go to a four-year school if you decide after a four-year school you want to still be in fashion 100 yeah. we will support you but that's not an option so I crushed my fitum dreams my parson dreams and <laughs> <laughs> I went to Boston University and I um forgot about it to be completely honest I was like okay whatever I'm gonna pursue a career in business I don't know what that means but or communications because my sister's doing that yeah and we'll see what happens And it was funny because in school, I remember talking to my friend and he always brings up this conversation. I remember saying to him, why is there no website to buy Indian clothes Mm -hmm. and a good one, you know? Yeah. Like like, where you're not like, will I be scammed? Yeah. Or even, you know, my mom still went to India all the time and would bring us back these beautiful outfits and they were amazing. And then I'd go to these, uh, you know, like at the end of the school year, we had those big parties for everyone Mm -hmm. to dress up in saris and whatnot. And I would go and I'm like, half the outfits here are not good, but these girls have good style outside of this. So what is Mm -hmm. going on here? There's a disconnect. Um, And why is it that we have to short ourselves on Indian clothes when they're probably the most beautiful outfits we have access to that feel are are attainable and part of our culture. So um, that's kind of how it came about. It was always in the back of my mind. And then, yeah, long story, but basically then eventually I worked in advertising in New York. Again, it was in the back of my mind, not really the main goal here. And I had a moment where I realized it wasn't what I wanted to do. And so I had to go back through and say, okay, what was the thing I always wanted to do? And I was like, fashion, (laughs) in Indian fashion in particular. And so I enrolled myself in a uh, 
class at Parsons, like a nighttime class. It was called fashion entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And I created a business plan. And then I went to India and I started the company. <laughs> That's awesome. And what year was that? So I, that was 2017 and I was actually in between jobs. So I got really lucky and I had a month off. And so I spent a month in, a month in India working on the first line. And then I launched that September. And did you, when you started to launch in September, which congrats, um, so now you guys have what, like four year anniversary. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so exciting. (laughs) Um, so you've had an election term, um, presidential term, sorry. Um, and so when you went to India, like, were you going to also start another job on the side? Yeah. So the job I was switching into was actually still in tech. I was working at tech before. And so I was like, okay, what do I want to do next? I ended up finding this really awesome company that did fashion tech. So we, it was a software company and we would work with uh, our clients like, like J. Crew and Nike and stuff. So I was like, this is a good, you know, introduction mm-hmm. into the fashion industry. And then my plan was to never quit my job. I, my plan was to stay at my job and continue to work and then do kind of on the side. And my dad sat me down um, two weeks before I launched and said, move home, work on this full time. And because you're going to regret it if you don't put everything in it, in it. Lo and behold, it was my dad's plan to get me to move home. Not necessarily yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because he really wanted me it's to for you to job. pursue your dreams. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I figured it out later. I was like, dad, this was just for me to move home. I get it. I know you missed me. I was on the yeah. coast for too long. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I mean, it was never the plan. I quit my job. I moved home went to India again, worked on the next line and then just kept going. <laughs> wow. I, I feel like your story though, is such a good example of a, like some of the struggle that we deal with of like, do it on the side, yeah, do the responsible yeah. thing first, which a lot of us yeah. had to experience with South Asian parents. Yeah. But I think it's also good to know that like, it, it's encouraging because sometimes we feel like also, oh, if I didn't approach it from immediately, then I'll never yeah. have a chance to revisit that dream. Or some yeah. of us are finding that dream in our thirties, forties, fifties. So we're in different parts of that journey. But all that to say that at least you were doing things that gave you capital that you were collecting. Like, I love that concept from Meg Jay where like identity Mm -hmm. capital is still being gained. So your story is very much, yeah, my parents like initially told me like, don't do it full time. But I kept thinking about, you know, how do I learn my business acumen, go with accounts that relate to fashion. Like, I really admire you for making those decisions, even though you didn't know if like shop kind of was it yet. Right. Yeah. And honestly, I regret doing that in honesty. <laughs> I wish I stayed with my job a little bit longer because you don't make money on day one. Mm-hmm. And if you go from making a salary to having a $0 salary, it's really hard. And especially as an independent woman and someone who works really hard for their career, you almost go from having all this self-confidence of I built my career, I've done really well, I launched a company to, oh my God, I am, I'm not self-sufficient. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not independent. I had money saved and I used a lot of it towards launching the company. And then I moved back into my parents' house because I was like, hell, I can't afford rent. So I'm back. (laughs) I was like, you asked me to move home. I'm coming home straight to my own bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they were like, oh, damn it. Um, So (laughs) I think I think it's good. Like I, I tell everyone who is starting a company, don't quit your job until you feel like you have a security blanket because at the end of the day, it mm-hmm. will kill your confidence. And that sucks. Like you don't want to ever feel like you built up all this confidence in your career to have it. And not to say money is everything, but it is, it is what sustains you. And, and that's how you're going to live your yeah, life. Totally. Um, and so I think there's this entrepreneurial dream that everyone kind of sells and makes it really sexy. It, you know, quit your job, go r- r- like raise VC money and you'll be fine. And and then you actually do it and you're like, wait a second, uh, I can't pay my bills. I like have to mm-hmm. be sufficient on my, I have to move back into my parents' house. I'm too old for this. Um, and so it's a tough journey, but I mm-hmm. tell everyone, wait until you're ready to feel a little bit of that, you know, that jerk in it. And then also feel uh, confident enough and self-sufficient enough where you don't have that issue, especially if yeah. you're not raising money and if you're self-funding it, that's the tough part. This is more and more what I'm hearing from entrepreneurs like yourself is make sure you have something together before, but Mm -hmm. it's interesting to hear your, like, I've never heard someone bluntly tell me like it'll affect your (laughs) confidence too, because I I can only imagine, right? Like entrepreneurship is very vulnerable. Um, Mm -hmm. and we only see the side that Instagram shows or movies show us like 
It's like the classic, like Carrie Bradshaw, like living in like the Upper East Side wearing like, you know, $5,000 shoes or whatever it is. And you're like, she writes one column. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it's. And she's always broke. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So (laughs) um, maybe we should have paid attention to that part. Um, (laughs) So I completely like can imagine that that's super tough. Um, Well, one piece of advice I got from a um, mentor of mine also when I was asking about like, if I wanted to do this type of lifestyle down the line, like, yeah. um, she said like, have a year's worth of like your money income yep. planned so that you're not mm-hmm. feeling like you're just scra- scrapping by. Um, yeah. do you feel and, like, uh-huh. Oh no, go on, go on. No, go ahead. Oh yeah. So, and I was going to say, you know, and I a hundred percent agree with that. And I think that is the right move and that's the way people should go about it. And the tough part is, is when you're starting your business too, if you are a nobody, you are not yeah. only fighting to create something for your company, you're trying to get people to notice it. And so it's a lot going on. It's really stressful. I mean, I think my first, I call her, I tell everyone the first three years I was in business was kind of a joke because <laughs> I don't think I actually knew what I was doing. And yeah. obviously you learn as you go along, but it was also a personal journey of me trying to get my confidence back. I, I think I'm finally at that point where I feel the same as I did in 2017 before I left my job, but it's taken a long time for me to get here. And mm-hmm. it's, it's not only about your company at the end of the day, it's also, you have to think about yourself and your own, you know, what you value and what your worth is and, and feeling that you can go out into the world and voice that. And if you don't know if you can, then it's not worth giving that up for yeah. a company. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So I have two different questions. I'm trying to like, let's go with yeah. this direction. So part of building a company and brand now seems like investing in image and that sort of presence in social media where, where people feel like I can sort of touch and feel what this company might be about. Mm-hmm. But then you are also describing that there's a large component where you're trying to feel like you're cashing up and like people don't know that I'm like living in my dad's house or that piece. Right. And I'm just teasing it <laughs> with that part. But like, how did you balance? Like I'm selling this thing that maybe I don't feel like I'm at now. Does that yeah. make sense? Like, um, how did you like resolve that dissonance? So yeah, basically selling a luxury product when you're not living yes. a luxury life. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. You read between the lines well, girl. <laughs> you know, it, it was interesting because when I started the company too, I started it as my own brand. Mm-hmm. I was, I was selling kind of label only. Mm-hmm. So it was me creating a product for, and when I started it, my whole plan was to make it affordable Indian clothes for girls my age. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize at the time I was living in a bubble because I was living in New York. So salaries are really different there than the rest of the country, just because of the cost of living and everyone's lifestyles are completely different. So when I'm, I started the company, I was like, okay, I'm going to create these products that everyone's going to love. And, you know, it's super high end, all this stuff. And then I went out there and I was like, wait a second, I'm totally marketing it at the wrong people. And so have six months in, I realized I'm not, I should be going after my friends. They were not buying, you know, or like girls who are like my friends, they were not buying Indian clothes the way I thought people were because mm-hmm. we didn't have weddings to go to. And that's when I realized, oh my God, I am younger than my demographic. I was 25. Yeah. I was younger than the people I was selling to. And so I had to come up with this kind of strategy in my mind of, okay, how are you going to portray the outfits in a way that you can reach women who are older than you, but you may not necessarily understand it. And I think that's Mm -hmm. like a marketing thing in general. You're always, you know, you may not always be selling the product that you're marketing, but for me, because it was my own company, I had to realize that. And so I kind of switched the way I looked at it. And I said, okay, instead of trying to sell for people who are me mm-hmm. who are like my or for my basically my mom would make fun of me like you basically built a closet for yourself and yeah if the company failed it was great because all the samples I bought were in my size I was like I got yeah. a whole new closet whatever um, <laughs> yeah like, this is convenient but I had to say okay stop looking at what you're doing for yourself like you are not the person you're not earning the income you're you're marketing at and switch your marketing ploy so I went with I started using a little bit older models and I used a little bit um I changed the look of the products. I didn't make them as sexy or whatever. I started making them a little bit more conservative. 
And so that's kind of how I learned. I was like, I had to play my marketing hat and, mm. and put that in and say, this is not about you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're not living the life. You're not going, I wasn't going to weddings. Like I, none of my friends were getting married then. Um, yeah. So I had to kind of think about, okay, put myself out in those people's shoes and what do they want and stop thinking about myself and change that. And that's totally. when the kind of kaftans came about. <laughs> oh, wow. That, I'm yeah. seeing those take off. Yeah, yeah. That that's yeah. been since 2018, which is so funny. That was the first product that wow. really took off for Kina. Um, it was just and it was a mistake. My mom made me put it in the shoe. And I was like, no, mom, it's so covered. No one's gonna wear it. <laughs> and then it amazing. became our number one selling product. <laughs> that's why you gotta have an inclusive team. Yeah, <laughs> Your exactly. mom probably exactly. had a point of view that she's yeah, like, yeah, no, yeah. trust I was like, me, babe. Mom, this is for aunties. And then what happened? Everyone loved it. And I love it. I wear them all the time too. Yeah. Like right. <laughs> I know. But that's a really like I, I appreciate you sharing that because it's always yeah. it's not always easy to admit, yeah, I was wrong or I was doing yeah. something that I decided later that I should pivot. But I'm really impressed with your humility to recognize that and make sure you made that change because the the whole point of this is that it feels accessible to all ages and mm-hmm. all, all places in life. And so mm-hmm. I think that's something that I can see now, but I appreciate knowing about the journey. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> on that note, you know, I think what you were asking your friend back in college, I think was a very valid point. I remember sh- trying to shop anytime we were like, Oh, we can't go to India to buy the clothes. So then how do we get Indian clothes? Like I would have mm-hmm. to kind of just trust the process and like mm-hmm. make a payment to some black hole of like the internet mm-hmm. and then wait to see if like that website was legit or not. And luckily, you know, nothing ever bad happened, but they were never user-friendly websites. I couldn't really understand sizing how the process would work. And that's what I kept telling my mom when she was like, why do you want to go with shop kind of because it was also a lot before this like years hype and everything, right? You and I talked, I think back last year in July or August. And I remember being like, you know, I know you can do this in India, but I actually want to do it through here because they understand my experience as an American South Asian. And also the process is the way that I kind of recognize is like the customer service experience feels something like I can connect with. Um, and I was like, I kind of don't want to stress about like, you know, you talking in your own, like, you know, that language I don't understand to like some other guy. And then it almost excludes you Yeah, process. So you're kind of at the mercy of like, you know, those experiences where people are putting things on you and you're like, I don't like this or Mm -hmm. so all of that to say, you know, I feel like that's how I took away the differentiation factor. Mm -hmm. What do you think when you were approaching shop kind of? How did you decide, like, this is how I'm going to make shop kind of different from what I've seen in the past? What were the things that you're like, this is how my experience is going to be that I provide? Yeah. So I think there was a few things for my own label in particular. It was that I, well, the baseline of everything, like you kind of touched on is that customer service has been at the base of everything that we have done. And whether it was me answering or now my team of customer service reps who answer the emails and my bridal stylist customer service is number one. And that's because of the pain point you talked about that Mm -hmm. you could send it off into a black hole. It's an expensive purchase. It's an important purchase and you could never hear from them again. And everyone has horror stories working with India. And we know that. So the baseline from the beginning of how I was going to make it really different was through our customer service. Um, The second thing was, as you said, too, is relating to the demographic that we're working with. I think it's really awesome. You know, the team now is a group of really young South Asian, non-South Asian women who understand what we're looking for and our thoughts and our process and and what we need to know we're we're a we're a generation of unless someone tells us it can happen we don't know it happens mm-hmm. we're not going to go to zara and say hey can you make that shirt in red like we don't and we don't ask that but our moms would walk in and be like what can you do for me <laughs> you know? yeah. and, and how could you not do this and so, i can't even imagine that yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so we kind of, the way I thought about it and how I'm, I was going to make it different is by in, un, understanding what people, what people wanted mm-hmm. from a bridal process and making it a luxurious process and kind of uh, taking after what the white dress uh, shops in America do. Like you, you go in, you get a glass of champagne, you have a really great experience. And why did we not have that before? So it's, it's kind of Mm -hmm. taking in multiple parts of different places that I've seen have worked and bringing it all into one, but the baseline is always going to be customer service. 
So what was that like when you started doing pop-up shops? Cause then you could yeah. do this physically in person. Um, yeah. what, what have you learned from doing these pop-ups in LA and New York? Yeah. Yeah. It's been interesting. I mean, a store was never in my plan. And I honestly, it's hilarious because from day one, if you look at my bright, like my business plan that I made in 2017, it said no brick and mortar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I look at it and I'm like, well, you make a plan and God laughs in your face. So yeah, totally. But um, so the pop-up, the way it came about was an accident as well. Um, I, my dad was moving out of like this place he was leasing and was like, you know, you want to take it over. So I took it over and it was supposed to be a month and ended up now we're turning it into a permanent store. And then, like you mentioned, we just oh, did wow, one in New nice. York. Thank you. Thank you. And I think if anything, what I will learn through the process is that there is, again, this trust factor that we have to build in the Indian mm-hmm. bridal industry of what you are ordering is what you're going to get. Yeah. And I think, yes, it's a handmade garment. Yes, things can always happen. Like it's it's part of this handmade garment made to order industry. But we're doing our best to help you feel comfortable in this process. And I think there's a lot of mistrust and a lot of um, fear of that. And we want to make this a happy experience for our brides. And we want to make sure people are excited to come into the store. And it's just not about shopping. Yeah. <laughs> and so if anything I've learned, um, particularly about brides is that we've just had to make it so that people feel excited about it and, mm-hmm. and want to come into it and not feel like, Oh, I'm missing out because I'm not going to India. That's not, that's not what we're doing here. We're trying to make experience you and seamless and happy. And yeah, you know, it was like, now I don't even want to go to India ever again to go in wedding shopping or bridal totally. shopping or whatever, because I can do it here. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answered your question, but that was a long one. Oh my gosh. That did. Um, so one of the things you made me think about too, is as I was seeing people post and you were resharing people who had visited your pop-up shop, one of, a few of the people had made comments about how they felt very um, safe feeling like even though size wise, they may not fit that kind of commercial look that they felt mm-hmm. like included and they felt like it was very comfortable and like the sizes were available and it, that is so critical, but just because just like Hollywood, right? Like in Bollywood and South Asian culture, we are sold this image of what is beauty. Um, mm-hmm. Typically, we still think that you need to look like Aishwarya Rai in Doom and like, yeah, um, you have to be fair and for it to look beautiful on you. Mm-hmm. So when you talk, when you think about it for your brand, when you talk to your team, how do you think about inclusive? inclusion because shop kind of beauty and like that feeling of beauty not just looking a certain way is so important yeah I I think one thing that we always think about when we're talking about brides and and people coming to the store is we get every person ever every Mm -hmm. culture every height every anything like any size and I don't want anyone ever walking in feeling like they couldn't feel part of it the excitement why should this be exclusive to girls that look a certain way or have a certain body type. That's so unfair. And, and who got to decide that? Mm -hmm. Go to hell. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it's it's not fair. And, 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 and so we always, you know, we get emails all the time from girls saying, Hey, I'm a size 14 or whatever. Should I even bother coming in? And that breaks my heart because they say to us, I've never had an Indian shopping experience where they actually have a size or make me feel good. And, and, you know, it's, it's, almost like it's time for a change. And so if we can be part of that and a small part of that, then absolutely we will. And I think that's, I always tell people, you know, I always think about sustainability and that's always on my mind, but inclusivity is a battle that I am willing to fight. And we Mm -hmm. fight that directly with our designers. A lot of our designers actually charge us for any sizes above a bust 38, which is a large in America. Mm. They will charge us extra. We never, ever, 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 ever charge the customer because that is so wrong. And it's not, it's, it's, it's not fair. Um, And so when we talk about it, we're like, okay, that's the battle we're going to fight. And we're going to fight it really silently with the designers and the contracts that we create. And we're going to fight it. And we're going to include everyone that we can. And, you know, I don't openly talk about it a lot because I, I don't want, I don't want it to be a problem. I want everyone to just feel good about it. You know, and I don't and, and so that, that's one thing. And it makes me really happy when we get those messages, when people say that they had a great experience, because it means that we're doing something right. And that that's totally. our mission is, is being succeeded and, and we're doing well in that sense. 
Absolutely. And not to just like, you know, I, you know, I have a lot of fondness for the South Asian shopping experience of walking yeah. in and like throwing saris at you and you're like getting <laughs> cha. And, like, but yeah, like at yeah. the same time, like I, I, I know there are times that I've gained weight and I walked in and I felt sort of fat shamed, you know, by yeah. like the people there. And um, I've never found it to be an experience where it was comfortable, like going into those stores yeah. and like having those trials and everything. Um, and so I think that's such a game changer, even to be able to sort of disrupt, to use, you know, mm-hmm. our Silicon Valley terminology, yeah. of <laughs> being able to disrupt a process that has always been there and make it yeah. better. Um, yeah. The other inclusion point that I wanted to ask about is the LGBTQ community. Do yeah. you feel, you know, right now when we think about Langdas, it's very gender normative um, and it's very, very heteronormative too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how does shop kind of, how do you, maybe I won't put it on the company itself, but like, how do you think about that? And do you feel like in the future you see models or marketing that also provides inclusion towards that experience? Yeah. And I think a lot of Indian designers have started to go through that or start to put that in the forefront uh, recently. I know Sabiasachi does it a lot. And mm-hmm. I we work with a lot of, uh, you know, brides on both sides. And it's so fun. We had a yeah. couple who, uh, one of the brides wore white, one of them wore black, and their ceremony looked so beautiful. And um, yeah. I had two friends get married a few years ago. And, and it was just, it, we got a lot of backlash. Again, we have to turn off comments sometimes. We have to just keep mm-hmm. deleting comments. And and but you know if we can support people and who they love and what they choose to wear I think it's a great time to be doing that and and again I'm not afraid of people I don't really care if you say anything to me I'm going to delete your comment it's my platform I can do what I want um but I think that I I'm looking forward most in the Indian fashion community of seeing more men wear Langas. I was thinking about this weekend. I was there's a few celebs I would have loved to see them wear a a jacket with like a dhoti skirt and something of that. You know, a kurta, something. Totally. Harry Styles kind of Indian fashion Mm -hmm. is what I'm looking toward. Yeah. Um, I think it's getting there, and I think people will will always have the internet trolls. We'll always have people who are against it, but you know. (laughs) yeah no seriously like but I think that's also a good point is like um a I I, like I I totally agree with what you're saying in in terms of haters are gonna hate at the same time our community can be pretty um hard to ignore sometimes the loud the loudness of those like I just call them like the toxic auntie uncle type voice right Mm -hmm. um does it ever concern you that you might turn off a customer segment if you take certain political stances or these even, I hate that I even have to call it political because it's just human. Um, But um, that you might end up like alienating any audiences. You know, as long as I feel like our values are aligned and we're doing the right thing, I'm not afraid of it. Yeah, We've had instances where, you know, we've posted LGBTQ weddings and we lost thousands of followers and whatever. I mean, great yeah. see your way out you're not the person I want to serve anyways or yeah um, you know we had a lot of people unfollow us last year when we were we worked with Mina Harris and we posted her and it was during the time of Kamala Harris coming into office it was just weeks before and we lost tons of followers who were anti you know Kamala Harris and that family and and it was one of those things where it had to we always have to look at it from a perspective of if we feel like we're doing something that we believe in and it's of the right values and it's not hurting anyone then of course but of course you always have to look at the flip side too of okay am I are we being inclusive are we making sure that we're um being open to other ideas as well and and so that's it's two sides it's two pronged but if I if I feel we're doing the right thing and we lose sales or followers or whatever then great like they're probably not the people we want to work with anyways I really love that um, yeah, I, I truly do because I think that the whole point that makes me think of that line of like lead by example. So mm-hmm. if you feel like, and then I've also heard like, you know, I'm here to serve the people that I'm here to serve. I'm not for everyone. And I feel like what exactly. you described is a perfect marriage of that. Um, and honestly, that is how we interrupt a lot mm-hmm. of these behaviors and see what happens in the future. So yeah, I'm really excited to hear that. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is with Daisy clothes, I feel like one of the things that maybe there's still an opportunity for, you can correct me if I'm wrong, since you spend more time in this space, but is that sometimes it doesn't feel as accessible as I would hope because it is rather pricey. 
And mm-hmm. on one hand, like, of course we want to give, like, there's not nothing against providing the fair rate of what the value of the service and the craftsmanships costs. Yeah. However, sometimes it feels like, should I buy that outfit? Because it's like a couple of thousand dollars. Like, do I have mm-hmm. that? And I know you have a firm plans, for example, but it, what's your point of view on helping bridge that gap of like, you don't need to have a couple thousand dollars to look spectacular yeah. for an event. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's really tough because one of the big things also at the basis of Kina is I will never cheapen on the quality that we're giving. Yeah. Um, I had to decide to take the route of yes, our products may be, and I'm speaking solely from the kind of label perspective, not necessarily the other designers that we work with, but you, we may have to price it a little bit higher, but that product is going to last in your closet for that much long, longer, mm-hmm. you know? And I think what's great about Indian clothes and what I've always preached to people is keep the outfit, keep it for your closet. Keep it as long as you can feel, figure out, you know, if it's your bridal langa, make a sari with it, mm-hmm. wear it for years to come. Don't throw it away. Don't let it sit in the back of your closet, figure out ways to reuse it. Yeah. Um, and that would be a great reel, by the way. That's oh, some yeah. good content, girl. You should show us how to like reuse. You know, I have no selfishly idea asking a or a TikTok. <laughs> that's like, the young girls who are working for me will be helping me. Um, I was like, I've been hiring people just to make TikToks because I am clueless. But anyway, yeah. Um, oh, that's why earlier I mentioned TikTok, and you just like went blank in your face. <laughs> I, I posted three TikToks, and they were horrible, and that was it. Um, and I lost, a, and unfortunately, all of them went viral because that's when India. Uh, TikTok was allowed and so all of the Bollywood songs were there and then after we started posting them we got no views or no (laughs) but um anything anyway so um basically I I always tell people keep it as an heirloom I think that what's really special to me is that the products that my mom and my grandmother have kept over the years were such great quality Mm -hmm. that we they have lasted and they have lasted years and years and years and those are things that I'm going to be able to pass on through my family and and continue to wear myself and and so that's the one thing that is really tough because to get good quality you have to spend a little bit of the money and and you have to totally and it's hand embroidered like you said there's a lot of artisanship between that so that's on the quality front, but on the making it more open, I think like we have started to um, expand personally at kind of our product offering. So we have, instead of only just embroidered outfits, you know, you can get a really trendy masala outfit for $250 and it's great. Yeah, it's beautiful. Totally. It's trendy. Um, they are really high end and people never complain about wearing a masaba, you know? So I think there's, um, it's tough because of the embroidered part of it. And, and yeah. you know, if you look at even in US fashion or Western fashion, couture fashion, or anytime there's embroidery, it's very expensive. And mm-hmm. so sometimes actually I look at a lot of the Indian products that people are putting out. And, and if you do a price comparison, if it was sold in an American market, it actually would be way more expensive or like double or triple the price. Totally. So that's the tough part about being in, in, um, in that kind of luxury product. But I do think that we're personally trying to expand our designers and our product offering so that there are more accessible, good quality kind of vetted products that are coming in that are a little bit more affordable that people feel good about and can keep forever and aren't cheaping on the quality. Absolutely. That's super helpful. And, you know, when you look at now, like your people that are walking into the pop-up shops, you know, it sounds like you have a myriad of let's simplify generations. Yeah. Um, But what are some of the trends that you're noticing for, you know, whether it's Gen Z millennials or maybe even um, folks who are marrying South Asian partners. Yeah. People who are marrying non-South Asian partners. Yeah. So white is having a moment. I know I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I think um, it's interesting because I think after the pandemic, a lot of the rules went out the window or people have waited so long to get married that the moms are, or the families are like, whatever, just wear what you want. And white wasn't allowed yeah. to wear, worn by a lot of families before. I know traditionally like, my family is supposed to wear white because we're Muslim. So for our our nikas, we actually wear white. But a lot of Hindu weddings and Sikh weddings or mixed weddings, a lot of girls have been wearing white, which I've been loving seeing because it's just, I don't know, it's so pretty. Another trend is mirror work is making a comeback. And I feel like it's been making a comeback for the last six, seven months. But it's a traditional type of work that girls are loving seeing back into their clothing and it's really pretty sparkly 
and gives you that shimmer that everyone wants for their bridal, uh, you know, their bridal attire. And then I would say the third trend is probably, and I'm talking strictly embroideries right now because that's my favorite thing to talk about, but Pearl is also making a comeback. Um, Or I don't know if it's a comeback, it's a new thing. Uh Uh, It's interesting because you don't really see Pearl a lot in Indian clothes. And so all of a sudden, some of the designers that we've been working with have been doing fully Pearl work. I know yours has Pearl in it too. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's kind of a nice, delicate way of having embroidery. It's not sparkly. It's not um, you know, it's not boring. It's really fun and pretty and feminine. So I think a lot of uh, brides and customers that we've been working with have been loving that as well. Totally. It's got that kind of mother's pearls feeling, right? Yeah, like it's traditional exactly. in that way, but also not. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's super helpful. So one of my last questions of our conversation, at least before we get to the trip trip round is, as you know, the down to brown mission is about resolving the differences between our identities with American pressure to assimilate, but then South Asian stigmas, pressures, all of that too. So when we think about being your best self in the future, how has shop kind of helped you get more comfortable with your own identity and helped you sort of tease out those differences and feel like you have that right balance that you want to strike of being South Asian and American? Yeah. You know, I, at the beginning, I was really embarrassed about, not embarrassed, but I wasn't as proud of what I was doing because I knew I was doing it for the South Asians and I knew that they would appreciate it. But then I was scared of how am I going to explain to my non-South Asian friends, what am I doing? And is it almost putting me in the corner of being more Indian than I, you know, and not assimilating into my American self as much. And, um, but then it got to a point where I had to be like, you know, what I'm doing is pretty freaking cool. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm bringing South Asian culture, to the red carpet, to, you know, the volley parties at Hollywood, to beautiful weddings around the world and to events and baby showers and birthdays and whatnot. And people making people feel a little bit more proud of their culture, which has honestly been great for me because it did the same for me. It made me, seeing other people be proud of it, made me feel proud of it and it's been a spiral. So it's, I would say it comes from my customers. Also. Totally. Yeah, honestly, that's about it. Like, I want to thank my fans. You're like, that's why, because sometimes yeah. they give you the voice and validation yeah. you need. Right. Yeah. I'm um, like, I don't even know if it's my fans. I'm just like, <laughs> do you guys love it? I love it. Let's do it. <laughs> that's amazing. So one thing I don't want to miss asking you though, really quick, I, for- I realized I forgot is where you want to see shop kind of in 10 years. Oh, yes. Um, I would love to have a shop kind of London. <laughs> I love London, but I think I would love to see it as a global company with stores everywhere. And, mm-hmm. that's, you know, uh, anywhere that's accessible and where our market sits and that girls go wedding shopping and want to have a good experience. Um, and my goal is to be headquartered in New York eventually, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, but I, I, and then I would just love to see it, you know, in, in mainstream and mainstream media and on people where it's, we're hopefully at a point where appropriation and appreciation have found their way, um, you know, yeah. to, to be Sit okay with table. each other yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the table and have a conversation and have a glass of wine and <laughs> be at a point where it's kind of, it's appreciated and worn by many, many people around the world and not just by South Asians. And totally. in an appropriate way. <laughs> I can cheers to that, girl. Cheers. <laughs> I need a refill, though. I would love to ask you a few rapid fire type questions. I'm going to actually Ready. add one, too. So, Ooh. surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, so, first of all, where does the name Kaina come from? So, long story short, my friend. I was bugging all my friends about what to name Kaina. And my friend said, what about the name Kainat? And I really liked the sound of it, but I was like, I know too many girls named Kainat. So I looked it up in on Google and I was supposed to say in the dictionary. I don't have a dictionary. Um, and <laughs> I mean, and, you're old school. <laughs> oh yeah, I was like, find the encyclopedia. Um, so I, I, I saw that in the Quran, it means uh, Kaina, which is the root of it means woman leader. And it was spelled K-A-I-N-A. And I really wanted a word. I I like had my goosebumps. Like I was like, that is actually such a cool translation. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew it. I always wanted a name that had meaning. It was just something that I always wanted. And Mm. 
So I decided to change it to KY uh, because I was like, everyone knows Kylie Jenner. So everyone's going to be able to pronounce it. Turns out most people can't pronounce it, but it's totally fine. Um, you grew so, up but, in SoCal or? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you from LA? Yeah. <laughs> but I was also 25. Okay. So. <laughs> I'll give you that. <laughs> so that's how that came about. <laughs> oh, I love that story. So basically when we're shopping, we're shopping woman led. Yeah. Oh. That's so sexy. Okay. Um, last kind of question. Do you think you'll ever, ever go into the rental space? Never, ever, ever, ever. And that's not even like me saying no brick and mortar. I, would I was going to say, that. are you going to write that in caps now? <laughs> yeah, no, I, you know, it's just the tough part about being an Indian clothing company is if, for example, all the clothes that we sent out for Diwali this weekend, if someone ripped it or a bead fell or something, I'm going to have to send that back to India. And India, yeah getting crap into India is so hard and so expensive. Um, so it's unfortunately not possible because of tailoring, but who knows again, yeah. plans will happen. You, and you and might have God will laugh in your face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. You stop at a gas station and have $15 to spend on snacks. What do you buy? Oreos and water. <laughs> the essentials. Apparently. And a <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> have some fun. Um, do you want to get married? First of all, yes, I am engaged. <laughs> oh wow! Congratulations! Yeah, yeah. Thank wow. you. Thank I've okay. been engaged for a year, so it was like old news. Um, but oh, we're going to be getting that. married end of next year. Oh shit! So I was going to ask you, what would you hope to wear? So what are you wearing? Because oh, I feel like you probably have five outfits. <laughs> so it's so funny. I felt a, a lot of pressure to have really amazing outfits. I feel like everyone is expecting me to come out with lightsabers coming out of my language. Yeah. Um, but I, I have a few ideas. I know for sure, obviously one is going to be white for my ceremony. And then I really want to wear a pop and preach for one. And of course, mm-hmm. Seema Gadral is my, my aunt. So I have to wear a couple outfits from her too. Um, so hopefully next year I will be sitting down and actually working on them, but I just know who I want to wear for now. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I didn't know she was your aunt. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. She's my mom's, well, aunt, my mom's best friend. So um, I've been working. She's actually the manufacturer behind Kaina from day one. She was the only person who said yes to me (laughs) to make my label. (laughs) Well, see, you only need one person. I remember like Lady Gaga so many times. Remember for Bradley Cooper? So I feel like Seema Gadral is your Bradley Cooper. She is. is. (laughs) (laughs) At what age do you think we all officially become an auntie speaking oh man I had to come to the realization I am there but I would say 29 and a half because I'm officially an auntie (laughs) great (laughs) welcome to all 29 and a half year olds (laughs) okay and I know you have your boothing but just let's pretend they're not listening you yeah. have the most dirty dreams about this celebrity. Reggie Jean. <laughs> oh my God. No, you can't steal him. <laughs> I got to FaceTime him. Okay. This is the best day of my whole life. So um, the his date for the Emmys were kind of. And she knows she, if Manic, if you're hearing this, you're going to laugh at this, but she knew I was a fan of his. And she was in the store and she was trying on I outfits. I can't shut my mouth. I'm like I so full <laughs> she, she was trying on outfits and um and he and it's so funny because the week before I was at a bachelorette party and everyone was talking about their hall pass. And I was like, he's my hall pass. And oh, and my fiance was well, it was the day after the bachelorette party, so the boys were there and my fiance, all of us were like, they were like, uh Upsol, who do you think Aisha's hall pass is? And he immediately said <laughs> so the week after we were at the store and she's trying on all these outfits and she was done and she was like okay great this is like gonna be perfect for the Emmys and then she goes I'm gonna FaceTime him and I was like who (laughs) she FaceTimed him and uh she's talking to him and I'm like on the side and then she goes I want you to meet Aisha and turns the camera to me and I swear to god my heart stopped I was like oh my god did he just do one of his like hello yeah, he was like, oh, thank you so much for, I remember, like, dressing oh her. Gosh. She was beautiful. And I, he was like, oh, I wish I was there. And in my mind, I was like, I wish you were too. I know. 
Also take me. What fiance? He was so nice. He kept telling her how beautiful she looked. And he was so nice. He's so nice. I I love him. So he's into their Indian chicks, huh? Oh, yeah. Well, so she, they're best friends, actually. I asked them. She's married. She has kids. um, But they're just best friends. And he wanted to take her to the Emmys with him, which was really sweet. That is so sweet. And she looked bomb in Alanga. Yeah. So that leaves him on the market. Yeah, I, I say that a month away from my wedding. So yeah. sorry. Um, hopefully... I mean, that was also an on my bachelorette bridal shower question. <laughs> everyone's like, how do you say his name? I'm like, how do you not say I his name? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, I think I keep saying it wrong too, but it's fine. <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter. I just go RDP. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, oh my gosh, I could talk to you forever. You were such a blast to talk to Aisha. Oh, thank, thank you so you. much for not only sharing so your story but making all of this so relatable and easy to connect with because it's a space <laughs> that can be really intimidating too like lingas and hope fashion so yeah um I really appreciate you I feel like shop kind of oh. is in such good hands thank you thank you I had so much fun I usually don't I dread podcasts but I knew this was going to be really fun <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much and it I was, was so and I had a glass of wine <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And also, if your friend is listening, I'm also available for FaceTime conversations anytime. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I hope you just it. Oh, the rest of that, I tried to get the CCTV of me talking. <laughs> so, I didn't get it, but unfortunately, it oh, expired after 30 days. But I was like, Dad, get the security camera footage right now. Oh, that's like, so What funny. happened? <laughs>